India is a great example. India's, you know, the software development range of salaries there is so broad that the good people are demanding salaries that are commensurate with here. And it isn't necessarily a cost savings. You're just paying for a cheap service. You could shop around if you want to take your car to the shop and you can find a cheap mechanic. Um, but likelihood of you getting good work done is, is going to be much lower commensurate with what you're willing to pay. The big question is, how can you fix and transform your organization's most important foundation, your software, into an asset which allows you to become better every single day? Each department is at its best when it can smoothly, efficiently, and productively operate. And to do that, you need to pay attention to the lifeblood of your organization, your software. The custom software creation geniuses at Architect Now are presenting this podcast as a way to help leaders think more strategically about their software and to roadmap what needs to happen in order to be at the top of their game. No, this podcast is not going to scramble your brain by talking about DevOps or API calls. Our goal on this show is to make you better by giving you the high-level insights that you need so you can better make decisions that will not only be cost-effective, but will help your team on an intangible level as well as a technical one. Welcome to Newsflash, your software company. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Newsflash, your software company. I am one of your hosts, Corey Durkin. Along with me is Alex Will, Don Jacobs Meyer, and Kevin Grossniklaus from Architect Now. And today we're going to be talking about the competitive market of finding tech talent. It's always been incredibly important ever since the advent of every single business using software to have the best tech talent they could possibly find. But right now we're experiencing costs rising. We're experiencing almost two years of a backlog of economic changes that have been wrought by the pandemic. And it's incredibly confusing. And it is certainly more expensive than it was to figure out how to find good people to support your business, especially when you consider the fact that every single business is a software company first, comma, you are whatever your market industry value proposition is. So Kevin, to start out, Tell me a little bit about what happened when Architect Now switched to being a remote organization and what were some of the, you know, the challenges that you went through to make that happen? And then what did you see as a result once you realized that you were not limited to a specific geography? Sure. Well, um, I believe I mentioned in prior episodes, we, we as a company went fully remote at the beginning of, of the pandemic back in uh, early 2020. So we had already worked remote to some degree as a company. We weren't really tied to physical offices. We did have them and we all, for the most part, went there a few days a week and then worked remote. So it wasn't, there was not a major impact to us individually or as a company in terms of how we worked and what we did. Most of our customers were out of state anyway. So the collaboration, the tooling, uh, that, that was relatively easy for us to overcome and there wasn't really a blip in the road. As a matter of fact, we grew pretty significantly since. So when the pandemic hit, what we found is the need for technology and technological solutions really grew. Companies, other companies that weren't as you know, familiar with that environment had to go remote. They needed to optimize processes. They needed custom solutions for them to work remote. So the demand for services from a company like ours or software development in general went through the roof. Uh, there was a huge demand for companies that could provide the types of things that we do. Our partners, uh, our peers, other people out there, our competitors, they, they, everyone that I've talked to had says the same thing. It, it was a real 
boom for this particular, as much as the pandemic has been terrible in other areas for technology companies, there was the need for us to help solve problems. That said, uh, we went fully remote. It did open the door up until that point. We are, our particular company is located out of St. Louis, Missouri, or historically has been. Uh, we went fully remote in, in the beginning of 2020, which also opened up the opportunity for us to start to grow our team with people from anywhere. And currently we're still only located in the US. So all of our employees are spread out throughout many states, but uh, it, it opened our potential pool of developers pretty significantly. Um, instead of hiring someone willing to move to St. Louis, we were able to hire someone in Tennessee or Maryland or, or Oregon and, and work with them remotely. So that changed a lot of our, our hiring, our HR, uh, how we manage that team. There's just a lot that, that went into that. So uh, it allowed us to bring in more talented people. Uh, it also gave us the challenge of helping to meet the demand. There was so much need for our services. We were growing and bringing in more people and coordinating all of that. Uh, there's a lot of trickiness to the HR aspects. There's a lot of trickiness to getting hardware and providing you know, things for remote workers to, to they need to do their job securely in all of these different places, coordinating travel as needed. Uh, it was things that in 2019 we had never considered. And now in 2022, uh, some of them we, we've polished up and we're really good at, and there's still hurdles and the demand is still there. And it's really hard to find really good technical talent. Um, it's a seller's market right now. There's much more demand than there are very talented tech people. And, and I don't even mean that the bar is super, super high. I mean, just any developer, if you've been in the industry for a few years, you've got a lot of opportunity to go work at a lot of great places that provide a lot of good benefits. So uh, it's, a small company like ours trying to stand out in the crowd and, and you know get the attention of some of those talented people is that's our current hurdle to some degree sure and and there's another conversation of let's say you're looking for talent and we'll get we'll 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 talk a little bit more about sort of other solutions that don't involve hiring people directly in a bit but um don tell me a little bit about you know, okay, so yes, you have access to a, a ton of people because you're remote and you're not limited to St. Louis, but you still have a, a pretty significant amount of logistical issues for any for any company that's trying to hire tech talent in terms of getting hardware or software to them, um, getting them onboarded with your systems. Are you going to use a recruiting firm or a staffing firm? You know, tell me a little bit about some of those hurdles. Uh, that come along with trying to find that top tier talent, assuming, as Kevin just said, you have the ability to provide competitive perks and, you know, resources to make the job attractive to them. Yeah, so there's the sort of upfront friction, and then there's the ongoing friction is sort of how I think about this. So the upfront is the hiring process and the onboarding process that you just talked about. Um, you know, what Kevin alluded to is kind of the ongoing, which is the the amenities, the mentoring, the train, ongoing training, um, the investment into the humans. Um, but you know, to hire right now is is a, is a little crazy. There's uh, lots of different places to post jobs. Some of them integrate with one another. Some of them don't. Um, you tend to get different types of people that apply or look for jobs on different, you know, job placement areas. So if if you have a sort of HR director who is in tune with that type of um, 
sort of search concept, are we searching in the right place, is something that we have, you know, started to ask ourselves. Um, which well should we go to to find the, you know, water that we want? Um, you know, if you have a specific computer you want them to use, it, it better be a computer that there isn't a supply chain shortage of right now because you could be waiting for a minute, especially if it's a high-end, you know, development computer that likely has custom silicon from China, right, or Taiwan or somewhere. Um, you know, and then there's onboarding in a remote world. Uh, surely you can invite them to all the different tools and get them sort of spun up, but... Um, you know, it, it, it's still a little more challenging than just saying, hey, come into the office, we'll sit down together and, you know, sort of do your onboarding process. We'll show you how this, that, and the other works. And, um, you know, it's one thing for, you know, Kevin or Alex and I to kind of work and collaborate remotely. We have rapport, we're, we work together for a long time, but when you're bringing on someone new, you know, you don't only really have that rapport, like you're also building rapport and trust and relationship. Um, while learning this person's pronunciation to their first and last name, perhaps, or what their dog's name is. Do they have children? You know, just getting to know them, right? So there's still a lot that goes into hiring top-tier technical talent um, in, in a modern world where, again, they, it is a seller's market. You know, they are commanding um, an experience and a compensation package that justifies their time and attention, energy, and investment. And Alex, tell me a little bit more in detail about what that experience is that they're looking for. You know, if, you, if, if a business owner is listening to this and they're thinking about wanting new tech talent, they think about the basics, right? They think about a 401k with matching and they think about healthcare and they think about a competitive salary. But what Don touched on is there are some, some other criteria that people in the tech world who know that they have the goods are looking for in order to say, yes, this is a job I want. So, so what are, what, what, what do people that are, you know, understand that level of what's out there, what do they want beyond those traditional benefits? From a developer's uh, perspective? Yes. From well, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they're looking for, you know, flexibility, right? Are they, can they work in some place that, you know, gives them you know, the flexibility to, you know, work on a tech stack they want to, that's, you know, you know, modern and new and, you know, increasing their skills, right? They don't want to go to some place that's not, you know, challenging them enough, but they also want to go to a place that is supporting them enough as well. So a lot of times developers during the interview are asking you just as many questions as you are asking them. Because they want to know, like, am I going to have a teammate there that can kind of support me on as I'm growing my skills? Am I going to have leadership there that believes in what I'm doing? Am I going to have um, programs there or training programs to help me get to my next level? Am I going to be working on stuff that I actually can sit, sit at a screen a day all day for eight hours and actually focus on, right? Um, there are some people that will just go straight for certain domains because they enjoy that domain more. Um, there's a whole bunch of things like that that they're looking for. Uh, flexibility is a big one. Being able to you know, work remote has been a huge, huge thing, obviously. Um, just the increase in people that just have had so much better productivity staying at home because there's not all this office noise, all this kind of stuff going on around them has been, you know, been wildly popular. 
Um, packages around going to industry events, things like that. Having community involvement has been a big thing. Open source software is a big thing in um, software, right? Open source software is the name. So that's been a big thing that people kind of look for is community involvement and being able to meet other people that are, you know, that companies engage in. Um, from a employer's uh, perspective for hiring and kind of experience looking for is, are they in our, on our tech stack, right? If you just say, I'm looking for a software developer, that can mean 10,000 different things to people, right? You're looking for a Ruby person like Don, you're looking for like a .NET person like, like you know, me or like Kevin. Um, so there, it just, there's so many different tech stacks out there that, um, that you need to find, right? Because if someone knows a totally different opposite tech stack, they can be smart. You still want to hire them? We do that all the time. We might not hire someone on perfect tech stacks. We think they're so smart, but there's a, there's a cost, an opportunity cost to get them onboarded to your tech stack. But it doesn't stop at tech stack. Also domain. You want them to know your domain about what your business does, the terms they use, all these kind of things. So there's going to be an onboarding cost of them learning your business as well. So some people in very high leadership positions for development might say you have to work in healthcare for five years, and that comes at a cost as well. Well, and also, you, you know, you, you mentioned the idea of getting somebody up to speed. And this is kind of where we get into the, the kind of the third act of this conversation. Um, although I do agree with you that if anybody, you know, can find the Don, they should, they should, because it's great, you know, it's a great opportunity there. Um, but uh, if, if you're describing, you know, bringing somebody into your tech team, right, somebody that's going to be coding for you, somebody that's going to be solving these very granular problems. Um, there's a lot of, of opportunity costs that's wasted just trying to get them up to speed, right? Trying to, trying to get them uh, able to do productive work for you on a daily or weekly basis, let alone trying to help them improve their skills, right? So, so if you think about, it, it's not just, oh, I need to find a a React developer for this project that we're that we're working on, uh, or, or this new platform that we're we're building on. It's about I now have to think about the entire infrastructure, the the dev team, the product managers, um, the, the 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 giving them a growth path, giving them the ability to level up their skills, and. That's a whole, it's almost like a, like a whole separate master's degree in figuring out how to support that person from a, a, a team perspective and from a talent supporting perspective. Isn't that right, Alex? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of cost that goes into that because there's, you know, different tiers you can go. You want to, you know, homegrown talent, kind of like, you know, the minor leagues for baseball or something like that. Your junior engineers, your internship program, that has been a big thing for us is, taking these people that we think are smart and is raw talents and help growing them. But that comes at a cost, right? So you get to grow them to the experience you need to make them as productive as, as, as a mid or senior level developer. Now, if you want to go the opposite route and you're doing like the free agency, like you would in baseball, that's going to come at a premium because you're, you're paying for people that have already gone through that, um, through that, through that talent pool. So the infrastructure to get a junior to a to a mid or mid to a senior requires other senior or high level people at that company they have the time to help mentor and do one-on-ones and all that kind of stuff to help these junior people but also provide out you know um, outside resources as well to get to the next step so there's a lot of infrastructure around people content and um, teams that require a lot of time and money to you know get these people going 
And Kevin, when we talk about this idea of, you know, we, we, we talked about in our last episode, the idea of low code, no code. We talked about the idea of, you know, being able to have a citizen developer, somebody who is tech savvy enough on your team to be able to make some inroads into problems that you need solved. Um, it, it sounds to me like being able to partner with someone who has a full team of developers that are used to working together like an architect now, and having one or two citizen developers on your own internal team as an organization to be able to connect with those partners in the outside world and develop solutions to problems that you have is a lot easier, especially in today's you know job market in the tech world, than everything that Alex just described. There are definitely uh, huge benefits to that. Uh, every, everything that's been mentioned so far is exactly right. And if your business is not solely based around being software developers or running teams of software developers or the, the agile processes or hiring or growing, you know, whether it be an internship program for software developers or bringing in senior people through staffing firms or recruiters or wherever you find your talent. Um, if that's not what your, your focus of your business is, if your software development to you as a cost center, you know, inside of a larger organization, that, that cost center still has all those costs. They, they have to still pay for all of that. They have to plan for all of that. If you have a partner to do that, costs are going up, whether you, you hire people internally or whether you hire them through a partner. The industry is just a big shift. There's a change in the cost structure. So uh, I can't say it's cheaper necessarily always to have a partner. It just offloads a lot of that other non-directly related to solving your business problem costs. Sure, sure. Uh, somebody else is training those people, somebody else is mentoring, someone else is interviewing them, someone else is uh, providing them all the benefits and the, you know, the ability to work remote or, you know, whatever it is, unlimited vacation, informal, okay, all these benefits that are out there. Uh, someone else is doing that. And you're getting the benefit of when they're you know, chugging away and working on your project, as opposed to you're providing that. Um, we're finding a lot of software developers, even in large organizations, there's a different pay scale and a different benefit scale on the software development side of the house than there is maybe in other parts of the business because they just have to do that to play in that industry. So it's kind of strange. And you, you read about it a lot. Twitter's full of discussions about it where somebody finds out that, you know, the software development team over here is making more money than the management team. Because unfortunately, that's just kind of how the industry has played out recently in some regard. So there's nothing that company can do about it other than play that game if that's how they want to continue to staff their work. And Don, you know, Kevin talks about, okay, well, it's not necessarily going to be cheaper to go with an outside partner um, than, you know, uh, hiring internally. It's just going to be offloading a lot more of that sort of infrastructure work. But let's say somebody says, well, okay, um, you know, I really don't want to deal with that. What if I just go to a second or a third world country and hire talent there? I've heard people do that. I've had friends that have developed apps that have done that. Um, what, what kind of possibility exists there? If somebody were to say, I'm going to try that route, what, 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 kinds, of, uh, <laughs> what kinds of obstacles are going to uh, be found in that regard? Yeah, so, you know, um, everything costs something. And where there is a lower cost of something somewhere, it typically comes uh, without as much of a premium outcome. So they are trying to make a living. They are producing value in one degree or another. 
and it's tricky to know what you're missing perhaps unless you've seen projects like that go sideways. Um, we've taken over a number of projects that started with an, an offshore firm and were brought to us to say, this was over budget two or three times over and it took you know 10 times as long and they kept promising it would be better. They kept promising it would be better. And you know it just never got across the finish line. And so they bring it to us and they say, we don't know what they have. Like, does, is this 90% done? Is it 30% done? And so you don't really know what you're going to get if you don't have someone who is really a partner for you um, or even internally who's technical but who's simply facilitating projects that are done externally. Um, so you don't know what you're going to get. Um, you know, many of those firms are not necessarily exposed to sort of modern best practices that prevent these things from happening, but also create opportunity for you in the long term. You know, are they pushing back and thinking about, well, this is a great feature, but you know, what if you want to do X, Y, or Z in the next three to five years? You know, if we don't ask that question now, we could be painting you into a corner where you have to do this all over again later. And so that's typically what you're missing from an offshore firm, an offshore firm that is really just a hired gun um, yeah, they're, at a they're lower gonna, rate for a lower cost of living. They're going to go in and they're going to say, they're going to code whatever you tell me to code, but they're not going to ask any questions and they're not going to think about how this plays into the bigger vision. And, and let's be realistic, though. I think saying offshore is probably a terrible way of saying it. People are looking for cheaper solutions, whether they're in you know, the U.S., whether they're in any other part of the country. The reality is good talent is demanding a higher price and charging more for their services in this world than in, in anywhere in the world, whether it's South America, Europe, Asia, anywhere. So I think that saying offshore maybe gives people a bad rap. If you really want good work done, there are companies in South America that can do it and there are companies in India that can do it. And they're going to ask the right questions and they're going to do everything following best practices in their stuff. Some of the best developers I know in the world are, are not from the US. Uh, and they, but they also are demanding you know, the same salaries and the same level of, of living that the talented people here do. So what I find is companies, they use the term offshore and say, I just want cheaper work. And I, I look at, this partner in the US and they want 150 or $200 an hour to do this, I'm gonna go get someone for 15 or $20 an hour somewhere. You know, say Eastern Europe is an example of a place where currently a lot of people are going because there's firms there that will take junior developers without the experience maybe charge you that, but the likelihood of a positive outcome is very low. Now you could go to the exact same country and pay more and get you know a successful project. But usually when people are looking at that, they're looking at it as a heavy cost savings. And it used to be cost of living is much lower. And it's, that is the truth. There is cheaper cost of living in other countries than, you know, country A versus country B. So maybe you can get a diamond in the rough and find a developer willing to work at the level of that cost of living. But uh, some country, India is a great example. India is, you know, the software development range of salaries there is so broad that the good people are demanding salaries that are commensurate with here. And it isn't necessarily cost savings. You're just paying for a cheap service. You could shop around if you want to take your car to the shop and you could find a cheap mechanic, um, but likelihood of you getting good work done is, is going to be much lower commensurate with what you're willing to pay. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. It's like if you're going to go outside the U.S. anywhere, 
the I think what's what we're really describing, especially because there is more demand for tech talent than there is supply globally, is you're talking about the top tier experience with software development has kind of flattened out across the board where it's it's basically the same globally, but then there is a giant gap uh, between the top tier and the second tier. That's kind of what it sounds more like is is, is happening, right? You're you're that that gap is widened in the or the bottom tier, yeah. Well, certainly the bottom tier, yes. But but the, but those gaps have kind of widened in the past half decade, and they're being um, exacerbated by the you know the glut of talent in the global marketplace on the tech side of things. Exactly, and there's just different. There's shady characters in every country. There's shady businesses, not necessarily individual development. I'm sure there's shady individuals too, but. Uh, there are companies that we, we've we've in the past had partners or customers that have said, hey, I found this. Somebody just talked to our CEO and they said they got a company in India that will fix bid this project for, you know, $10,000. And we're like, there's no way that would take, you know, ultimately they're, they're paying people $1 an hour. I mean, regardless of where they're at in the world, I can tell you that's going to take, you know, 500 hour man hours yep. to build the solution you're looking for. So if they're doing it for $10,000, there's no way the math would ever work out. Right. They would... They must have, you know, people working for nothing or, you know, people paying them to work to make that work out. Right. And inevitably, we, we find out, you know, months go by, you know, two, three months, we get called up saying, we're going to need you to fix this. This was a terrible idea. We thought it was going to be some godsend, you know, save us a whole bunch of money. And it wasn't. We just spun our wheels and wasted a whole lot of time. And now we have to start over. Yeah. So, and, it, and it's not necessarily anywhere in particular in the world that they go to, to do that. It could have been in Iowa or Nebraska or Arkansas, anywhere in the United States, somebody shady could have made, you know, overpromised and promised a solution they couldn't deliver on. No, it's a great point. I mean, you know, Hey, even in the United States, I, I lived in Florida for, for a couple of years and, and people always said, you know, Florida is a sunny place for shady people. So you can find them anywhere. Um, that's that's certainly the case. Um, well, I think that's a great place to leave this episode. You know, understanding that there are a lot of challenges in finding tech talent now that are just rapidly increasing. Um, prices are rising, and people want more talent than there is a supply of. And I think it's a real conversation at the end of the day to understand that that just is the case globally. Um, if you go, you know, to the bottom tiers, you're going to get a significantly uh, more challenging and frustrating experience in, in most cases. And it really comes back to, you know, does your organization um, see itself as a software company? Because if you do, then you need to think about the fact that you're going to be around for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And what do you need to do to put in place to make sure that you can exist seamlessly and, and, you know, be able to, to grow, to scale, to have success, whatever your metrics are, to be able to sit there and say, okay, well, I need to grow this company in a way that allows me to create the foundation that allows each one of our team members to thrive. And for, for a lot of people, that may be a scenario where they say, I don't want to deal with the mentoring. I don't want to deal with building all the other infrastructure, having to offer all these perks. I just want to be able to go out and, um, you know, be able to, to, to work with a partner who has all that handled. And I just want to be able to say, okay, here are my problems. Please fix them. And then the partner, someone like architect now just comes in and goes, don't worry, we've got you. And they put on their Superman cape and, you know, you don't have to deal with all of the 
the ins and outs of running your own internal IT team. I mean, I think that a, a lot of the stuff that Alex described is is, is definitely, um, you know, it's it, it's not it's not the easiest, especially if you're not uh, a business owner or an organization that thinks in software. I mean, if the DNA of your organization is not a software company in the sense of, you know, you think of yourself as we are this organization that provides this product or service, trying to then kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, Dom, but but it's kind of like if you're not really good at mathematics, like trying to take a physics class and you're like, I never even got geometry. I may be speaking from experience. Um, Like that's what, what Alex described about building out a giant dev team if your if your business was not built thinking about that i would imagine it's pretty hard for for a business owner or organization in 2022 to say i'm going to take all of that workload on to try to keep this in house yeah that's absolutely right you know it's um building and managing and maintaining any specialized team of executors whether it's you know software developers or you know, uh, military personnel or, you know, whatever, like it takes dedication and focus to build and grow and maintain. And if that's not something that has a long-term strategic value and impact for your organization, you know, don't do it. And you, you may still pay to have that facilitated by someone else, yeah. but if it, if it keeps your eye on the right ball, it's still the right decision. Absolutely. I mean, if you thought that uh, that spearheading a, a team of sales reps was hard, try to do it with a, a team of uh, of developers, and uh, you know, figure out how to mentor them, how to give them that growth path, how to give them the perks that they know they can get anywhere. So, what makes your you know your your organization different? It's a whole uh, uh, ball of wax that's um, that's very tough to uh, melt. I was going to say unravel, but that would be a, a, a some other kind of uh, uh, material. So uh, that's a great place to leave today's episode. Uh, Alex, Don, and Kevin, thank you so much for being here. And we will see you on the next episode of Newsflash, your software company. Thanks, Corey. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. This podcast is presented to you by Architect Now. Whether launching new cloud or mobile apps or modernizing your legacy platforms, Architect Now can help you identify the best options and work with you to bring those ideas to life. If you like the information in this podcast, we can assure you it is only a fraction of the actionable wisdom and insights you will gain by talking to the team at Architect Now. To learn more and start a conversation, visit us on the web at www.architectnow.net. We'll see you on the next episode of the Newsflash, You're a Software Company podcast.